0: Last time we looked at uh, the trial of Jesus, and this whole idea of substitution—that Jesus died in our place—and it was really a a case of the innocent for the guilty, that He takes the punishment. And kind of that theme really continues throughout this whole scenario, this this whole account of what's happening. They accused Him of many things, but the three main ones, if you remember, they accused Him of being a revolutionary, that He was a rebel. But the truth is, we are the rebels. We're rebelling against God. We're we're the revolutionaries. We think we can do it on our own. We think we can do it better than God. They accused him of of urging people not to pay taxes. Need I say more about us in connection with that? But the third thing is they accused him of claiming to be a king. And and, and this kind of gets to, uh, compares, is is comparable to the first one, is that we want to be the kings. We want to be in charge. We want to be on the throne. And, what, and the big thing about, about following Jesus is that we step off the throne, we get off the throne and let him be on the throne because he is the king. They, they accused him of claiming to be the king, but he, he is the king. He's not the king necessarily of this world. He's not of this world, he said. I'm not, my kingdom is not of this world, he told Pilate. But he is definitely the king. So Pilate asked the crowd, they said, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? And which one did they choose? Barabbas, the revolutionary, the rebel, the murderer. They chose Barabbas, and Jesus took Barabbas' place. And as I uh, shared with you last week, that little bit of Information that most likely those three crosses were prepared for those three men. Barabbas and the two others. And that middle cross that we always think of in the middle where Jesus was, most likely was the place where Barabbas would have been. They were ready. They chose Barabbas though and Jesus took his place and he takes my place, he takes your place. Jesus... The crowd shouts out, crucify him. Pilate declares over and over, there's no basis for this. There's no reason for this. I can't find any basis for any charges against him. But yet, Pilate bows to the crowd, then he tries to wash his hands of it. Today, I want to look at a very short section about the suffering and the mockery and the humiliation that leads up to the actual crucifixion. The those three indictments, the official one that, that Pilate dealt with was that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. He claimed to be a king, and they tried to, they tried to make it out like he was going to, you know, not listen to the government, and, you know, he was going to make himself the king and overthrow uh, Pilate, and then all the way up to Caesar. He said, you know, they said, you know, if you, if you don't deal with this guy Jesus, then you're no friend of Caesar's. But in verse 26, where we left off last time, it says there, Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged, and he handed him over to be crucified. You know, a lot of these things, and, and the same later on where it says that he was crucified, we, we kind of just pass over those words, just one word, he was flogged. One word, he was crucified, and we can kind of move on from there, but, but when you kind of study it and look and think about what really happened there, that he had Jesus flogged, this alone was, was absolutely brutal, and it was very often fatal that they would die from it, which would save them having to crucify the, the person that was charged. But you think about this, we stop for a moment and think about the blood that was shed. We talk about the blood of Jesus, we, we know that. His blood washes us and cleanses us, but, but it began much earlier than the cross. It began here. It began, it began really in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane where it says that he, you know, he, he was under such intense pressure that he sweat and, it, as it were, drops of blood. But this was love. This was love for you and me. You see, this is what sin deserves and this is what he took for you and for me. This flogging let me read to you about this. It says the flogging that Jesus received was part of the Roman legal code, which demanded that flogging, precede capital punishment. They also call it scourging. So it was part of it. They, they, would, they would go together. It says that the Romans, they did it to weaken the prisoner so that he would die more quickly on the cross. Although the agony of the scourging was horrible in itself, the usual procedure was to bear the upper half of the victim's body, tie the hands to a pillar, before whipping the victim with a three-pronged whip, the whip made of leather thongs that connected pieces of bone and metal, like a chain. The continued lashing with these sharp instruments tore at the victim's skin, even bearing the bones. And the number of lashes was determined by the severity of the crime. Forty were permitted under Jewish law, but Roman law had no regulations regarding the number of blows a prisoner could receive. Someone else said the lashes would become easier as the prisoner confessed his crimes, harder if they remained quiet. Since Jesus had no crimes to confess, he took the full brunt of the scourging. Like I said, most or many people that they would undergo this they, they would not make it through this, this alone, ripping open the back with this with this uh, whip, sin. He took our sin. we're going to look at it in a second. A woman wrote to J. Vernon McGee the uh, the preacher that you hear on the radio. Uh, And she said, our preacher said that on Easter Sunday, Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. Somebody, you know, the preacher that didn't believe in the resurrection. What do you think, she asked J. Vernon McGee. And he says, dear dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip for 39 heavy strokes. Nail him to a cross. Hang him in the sun run a spear through him, embalm him, put him in an airless tomb for three days, and then see what happens. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. You know, again, the things that Jesus underwent, they were all prophesied, they were all predicted in the Old Testament. The Jews were waiting for Messiah to come and, and rule and to reign, but the, there's also, and there are prophecies about that, and they're right to, to be looking for the Messiah to come and to rule and reign and to overthrow and, and to set up his kingdom. But there are also prophecies like that found here in Isaiah and also in other, many other places, Psalm 22, many other places that talked about the suffering Messiah, that the Messiah would also come to, to suffer and to give his life to pay the price, as I said, to substitute for you and for me. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. It says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities, And carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by Him, and afflicted. But look at verse 5 But He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, some versions say, by His stripes, we are healed. This is the whole picture here. There's not just at the cross, but now what we're looking at here in the gospel of Matthew, this punishment that he went through. The wounds that he received are all part of our healing. It says the punishment that brought us peace. I don't think we have a clue. I really don't think we have a clue what he went through for us. We kind of have have kind of sanitized it. We've kind of made it look, you know, really nice and everything. But, but what he went for us, what he had to do to bring us peace, what he had to go through to bring us healing. That which was laid upon him. Look at verse 6 there. The Lord on, has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That which was heaped upon him, every lash, every punch, every... Every bit of treatment that he received was part of what you and I put upon him. Look at verse 27 back in Matthew chapter 27. It says, Then the soldiers, the governor's soldiers, they took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. If you can picture it here, the the cohort of the the company of soldiers, would, if it was a complete unit, would be like 600 people. Now, most likely, all 600 were not there. All 600 would, would not be on duty at the same time but there were probably between 200 to 400 men that were there at this time taking part of this. We saw earlier this kind of crowd mentality that just kind of goes berserk and insane in the, and following along with the crowd, though it may not be the right thing to do. This is what has happened now, this crowd mentality of what is taking place here. They see the flogging. It, it kind of begin, they begin to be affected by that and they begin to be stirred up by that. In verse 28, it says they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. The humiliation that he received. Scarlet being the color of royalty that was a mockery. Of course, the whole thing was a mockery. But if you can picture when they put this robe upon him, after having been scourged, after having been flogged, his back was already torn open, and then they put this cloth onto the wounds of his back. If you can imagine the kind of pain that must be when, you, when, 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 when that would be taken back off again. This was pain. This is, this is love. That Jesus has done this. That Jesus is putting this and taking this upon himself. Because he loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Verse 29, it says, they then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. What a picture that is. Again, the the indictment was that he claimed to be a king and the mockery that they're putting together. You're a king, okay, well, here's a robe. Well, here's a crown. the sharp thorns that they pushed onto his head. Again, the blood that was shed. Again, the, the suffering and the humiliation. I want you to turn with me back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is, is, a, is a chapter about what? The fall. The fall of man when, when the whole human race's history was changed. In Genesis chapter 3, I want you to look at verse 17. Well, let's start in verse 15. Um, Hold on, I'm in chapter 2. I need to get to chapter 3. Here we go. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. To Adam, he said, now, this is only a part of what we call the curse, the curse that has come upon the human race. The New Testament speaks about it, that the whole human race has changed because of the fall of man. But look what it says there in verse 17, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, this was a time when Adam should not have listened to his wife. I talked about that, I think, last week or the week before, when we do need to listen to our wives. This was a time you should not have. He says, you must not eat of it. He had commanded Adam directly. But he says this, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Life would be hard. Work would be difficult. Painful toil. But look at verse 18. It says, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It says the ground was now going to produce thorns and thistles for you, the difficulties. Jesus took those thorns back here in Matthew chapter 27. He took those thorns. He took the, the thorns upon his head, thorns being a part of the curse being a part of the fall, being a part of that which sin has brought to the human race. And Jesus now has taken it upon himself. One man says this, that Jesus bearing the curse that lies upon nature in order to deliver nature and us from it, that he took it upon himself. He took it upon himself. Again, as we read in, in Isaiah, this is where our peace comes from. This is where our healing comes from. What he was willing to go through for you and for me. That out of this comes peace. Out of this comes healing. If he had never been willing to do that for you and I, there was no possible way for you, to, for you or I to have peace with God. For you and I to have a healed relationship between us and God. There was just no other way. There was a story an old legend of a of a priest who found a branch of a thorn tree that was twisted so it looked like a crown and so he put it in his chapel on good friday it says then, early on Easter morning, you remember what he'd done, he went to go and to take it out of there, and he hurried to the church to, to take it away before the congregation came, but he says he went into the church and he, he found the thorn, thorn branches blossoming with beautiful roses. Out of those thorns come the beautiful healing, the peace, because of what he did. By his wounds, by his stripes, we are Healed says. The the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon from England, it says that he wondered how Matthew had heard about this crown of thorns. Since most likely he was not there at the scene when this took place. And the mocking that went along with it says he wonders if it was not one of the soldiers that was later converted and came to faith in Jesus. And Charles Spurgeon said, Our Lord's marred but patient visage preached such a sermon that one, at least, who gazed gazed upon it felt its mysterious power, felt that such patience was more than human, and accepted the thorn-crowned Savior as henceforth henceforth his Lord and his King he looked and saw that king he saw the face saw the face and and the the, the face that loved that was still there though it was beaten though it had this crown of thorns pressed onto it. it says there back in Matthew 27 it says they put a staff in his right hand the staff of a king but again, it was mockery. It was probably just a reed. It wasn't a, you know, an ornate staff like the real king would have. It was a mockery. They didn't, you know, they didn't really think he was a king. They thought he was just a man pretending to be a king. And they're doing all this for him. This idea of mockery. It says they knelt in front of him and mocked him. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Mark says that they paid homage to him. But it wasn't in reality, was it? It wasn't in truth. It was in mockery. There was a little church in San Diego that we were kids. I don't remember exactly how old it was, probably early teens maybe, maybe a little younger. Some of you heard have heard this story, but a little, little gospel church on the corner, and a group of us kids, we went over there and we were just mocking. We went and sat in the back row of this little church. It was It was like a little house that was converted to a church, and we sat in the back row, and and some kids were lighting up cigarettes in the back of this little church. Just mockery. And somehow, maybe you know, maybe it was even in mock, mockery. Somehow, we found ourselves up in the front of that church, down on our knees. I don't know. How, I can't remember how that happened. They came back and got us. Obviously, these people had a heart for us because why else would they do that? But I can remember still them praying over us. They had us at the front of the church on our knees, and they were praying over us. And, and it was pretty wild. This is a little Pentecostal church. It was pretty wild in there. I didn't know what was going on, but, but the reason we were there was not because we were seeking after God. We were there to, in mock, to mock them, to make fun of them. I wonder sometimes, though, God only knows who those people were then. There's still a little church there, but it's probably changed hands so many times, you know, since then. And and, and just things have changed. But I wonder sometimes what happened to those of us that were actually prayed over, you know. The prayers that took place that day were effective. Though I wasn't there for the right reasons. These soldiers. Maybe the story that that, that Spurgeon uh, uh, thought about. Maybe again, they're there in mockery, but 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 looking and seeing, and, and and something coming good out of that. Even Jesus with the crown of thorns. You know, it is so true. About. Someday that we will all kneel before Him. We will all bow before Him. I want you to turn with me to the, the book of Romans and then the book of Philippians. Two times it's written. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Let's start in verse nine. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. We will all be there. He was talking about us looking around and judging everybody else. No, each one of us re- needs to realize that we're going to stand and then we're gonna eventually we're going to bow and we're going to confess that he is Lord. That's what it says in Philippians. Turn there with me ahead about five books to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should bow confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen, folks. We're going to bow. We're going to all bow. And at that particular point in time, it will not be in mockery. There will be no room for mockery because we'll see him as he is. We will see him as he is. Now, of course, the truth is here in this life, you and I have a chance. We have an opportunity to make a decision to bow before him now. We will bow before him one day for sure. But our eternal destiny is is determined by whether we're going to bow before him now or we're going to wait until we're forced to bow. Because if we choose him now, eternal life is opened up to us. If we reject him now, eternal separation is what will be awaiting for us. That's just the gospel. That's just the truth of what the Bible teaches. I could sugarcoat it for you. I could make it all nice and make it all sound good, but how can you sugarcoat something like this? How can can you twist something like this and, and make it say what you want it to say? Well, Jesus was such a wonderful, wonderful man. Yes, he was a wonderful man, but look what he went through so that you and I could live and have life. And for us to then reject him or just mock him, what What kind of future are we asking for ourselves? He's given us the choice. He's He's not going to make us choose him. We choose him because we want to choose him. What a picture here. They knelt in front of him and mocked him. Part of the mockery is the fact that they were doing things that they did not really mean. Their heart wasn't in it. We can do lots of things, right? Lots of religious things. Even kneel, pray, do all these things. But if we don't have a real relationship with him, how is it any different? Hail, King of the Jews, they said to him back in Matthew 27. Hail, King of the Jews. Revelation 19 says that, it, that on his thigh it will be written... King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Charles Spurgeon, again, he, he talked about this idea of, of, of mocking him without even wanting necessarily uh, doing it in a sense where we're, we're like um, knowingly mocking him. He says this, listen carefully. He says it's possible for us to mock Jesus today by the way we live. He says you've mocked him by a feigned or fake worship. And thus you put the purple robe upon him. For that purple robe meant that that they made him a nominal king, only in name only. A king king who was not in truth a king, but a mere show. He says, your Sunday religion, which has been forgotten in the week, has been a scepter of reed, a powerless ensign, a mere sham. See what he's saying here? You come on Sunday and you do that, but, but what's happening on the rest of our lives? Is it a true life following after Jesus, or is it just a little thing we do for a show? Our hearts aren't really there. He says, you've mocked him, insulted him, even in your hymns and prayers, for your religion is a pretense with no heart in it. You brought him an adoration that was no adoration, a confession that was no confession, and a prayer that was no prayer. Oh, we may not be like I was back there in that little church, you know, laughing and we were in the back laughing and mocking. We may not be like that, but 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 is 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 it true that that our lives are, are a true life lived after the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do we just come on Sunday and we just say the say the prayer, we sing the song, we listen and then we go out and nothing has changed. No difference in our lives. That's a mockery too. That's what That's what he's saying here. John tells us not only did they do this, but they also struck him in the face. And and I don't know about you, but to be struck in the face is, 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 is horrible. It's a humiliation to be struck in the face. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Verse 30, it says they spit on him. How can it get any more humiliating than that? Speaking about that in Acts, it says, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. But an incredible verse found again in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50. Let's turn back there again. You can keep your uh, little marker in there because we got one other verse I want to read there. But Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. He says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Do you see that picture? I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Keep your finger in there and turn back to Matthew 27, verse 31. It says, after they had mocked him, excuse me, end of verse 30, they spit on him, they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and they put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. John tells us that they, Also, brought him out before the crowd wearing this purple robe. And they shouted again, Crucify him, crucify him. But turn back to Isaiah again, chapter 52. Isaiah 52, verse 13. He says, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and lifted. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. Do you see what is being prophesied here about Jesus? He was unrecognizable. He had been beaten so badly, he was unrecognizable. They couldn't even make out who his face was. They took off that robe. They stripped it. I'm sure by then it had been sticking to his wounds. They, they ripped it off of him. They put his own clothes on him, which would, they would then remove again at the crucifixion. And they led him away to crucify him. the suffering, the mockery, the humiliation that led up to the cross. A philosopher and theologian from the um, 1200s named Bonaventure, he just says these simple words. He says, contemplate the drops of blood, the blows in the face, the persistence of the whip and the crown of thorns, the derision and the spitting. On understanding the crucifixion. Think about those things. I want to close with a, some verses in the book of Hebrews. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Say, this is pretty heavy stuff, but this is the way it is. This is the truth. This is God's Word. How? It affects us, how we live because of it. That's our choice. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, not just the opposition, but the suffering that he endured for you and for me. He says, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Life is hard. We've been talking about that. Life is difficult sin attacks but but for us to fix our eyes on jesus and what he went through this is he says where we will not grow weary and lose heart we have not yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood we put up a little tiny you know defense and and you know then just kind of just go for it but but if we have fixed our eyes on jesus and what he has done for us It should affect the way we live. It really should affect the way we live. So, what love is this that gave his all for us, that we might give our all for him? He took our place. He took our punishment. He took our death, that we might have peace, that we might be healed, that we might have life. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition so you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray.